0: Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to the Vane Podcast. Respect the elders, embrace the new, and encourage the improbable and impractical without bias. Welcome, everybody, to a, another Vane Podcast. And actually, this Vane Podcast is a first for the Vane Podcast because uh, we're going to be having members of industry to be our panelists instead of uh, physicians. And um, all of our podcasts, as you well know, is uh, sponsored by Radical Vascular and distributed by them. But today, the topic is going to be uh, how the pandemic has changed the paradigm, how we have changed in in relationship to the to the pandemic regarding education and regarding training. We want to explore a little bit about what you all, as industry, went through, going through now, and what your thoughts are the uh, for the future i want to introduce who we have and we'll go by alphabetical order in terms of the companies that uh, they represent so uh Andrew Dynamics. dan herman is is from androdynamics uh medtronic brad mosley phillips brian dempsey and uh darren if we either went by company or by last name you would be last wow. anyhow darren's <laughs> from tactile It's darren winning so he's a He's a W. You're always at the end of the line, at the end of the, and uh, the alphabet. Um, and I really want to get some idea. Uh, maybe Brian, we could start with you. When when you guys and Phillips heard about this and was becoming obvious, like things are just not going to be the same. What was in the first week or so that you realized this? What was the company doing to to reorganize and uh, to say, you know, what are we going to do here going forward? Right. Give me a <laughs> sense of
1: the. Of the sure. sure, absolutely. One of the first things came uh, that, that Phillips put out a, a statement saying, hey, it's safety first. You have, you cannot go in to cover cases and be there without PPE. So uh, they, they started to go through and, and the, you know, the accounts, if they wanted us and needed us there, uh, we're requiring that the accounts have the PPE as they're trying to acquire those safety, uh, you know, Support us with our own PPE, and that's we're in the process of still acquiring that. One of the key things we did was um, is we have to take care of our patients, so they uh, went and uh, went and found a company that had a um, an FDA approved uh, interface, like a FaceTime type situation, but it was HIPAA compliant so that we're able to use this format, this platform, so we can be on our computers looking at an IVA screen, looking at venograms right there, so we're helping and giving the the data that the physicians need to treat these patients, because as we know, many of the COVID patients are developing DVTs. Uh, That's been a big concern. So. We've been still working, but working from home to the best of our ability.
0: We're yeah, also no, are doing, right? You know, I just want to start from in the beginning. What what you first kind of did? You're talking about the uh, the PPEs and stuff. And right, um, Brad, what what happened at Medtronic at first? If you can bring us back there,
2: yeah, you know, it, it feels like uh, years ago. Um, but it's only been a, a few months. So, at the very beginning, the, the thing with uh, Brian, you know, it was to understand the safety aspect of it. Um, there was the external and the internal portion of that. So, in terms of education and what we do where we bring people together in groups, uh, all those were, were canceled um, immediately, um, and then that was set aside. And then, in terms of um, our our customers and our physicians and, and treating the patients, that really depended on where they were at um, and, and what they were going through. Um, you know, from the the superficial venous perspective, a lot of those cases were just you know put aside. So, uh, really, what we what we continued to do was just kind of follow the science um, on on what the guidance was from either the the individual state health organizations, or from the CDC, um, as we all learned this uh, together, and then made those decisions uh, pretty quickly. Um, you know, not our group, but Medtronic as a whole, obviously, is right in the middle of this with the ventilator productions and all that. So there was a lot of activity that was sent over um, to that side of the business in order to try to um, get those products um, where they're needed um, for, for our group. You know, it was really just kind of stepping back and making sure that, you know, everyone was safe um, and the decisions in terms of their individual practice was up to, to the physicians.
0: Yeah. And so now, Dan, I'll get to you in a second, but Darren, I mean, you make products that in general, many times are being used in the home. Right. I the Flexi Touch and stuff, the lymphedema as well. and And so how... Did you guys deal with it initially? I mean, if you're physically dealing with patients in the home, what, what, what did you do about that?
3: Yeah, so a little bit different from some of the other companies. Our, our sales reps are they have a lot of patient contact uh, in the home, uh, not only for doing a demonstration and, and measurements for, for uh, product fitting, but also for training uh, on using the device after the, the patient receives it. So much like the other companies, you know, having personal protective equipment was really important. But because we had been in, uh, involved in, in direct patient contact, uh, our reps had a, a, a supply of PPE at home, which was beneficial. I think uh, maybe more importantly, in hindsight, uh, we, we were fortunate that we started a disaster recovery plan uh, several years ago. And so we were able to transition to um, from face-to-face to virtual within a matter of, of two weeks. And uh, at this point, all of our touch points with clinicians, with patients uh, uh, are are all virtual, done via Zoom or uh, FaceTime or other mechanisms. So that's been
0: uh, a savior for us anyway. Yeah yeah, no, that's good. So so Dan, at angio, what uh, what what occurred initially? what uh, who was directing the decisions and and what was some of those decisions early on?
4: So, I mean to echo everyone else's sentiment regarding that. Obviously, safety was incredibly important up front. Angio's two guiding principles for this were the safety of our employees and of course the safety and care um, for patients. So that message came straight from the top. And I think it's it's obviously impressive when you see companies react in that way. And then I would just say, Steve, we quickly rebounded and started thinking immediately how we could be providing value to our customers in a time where the gates are closed, right? How do we expedite the process so when they come back, they are ready to start treating quicker? Um, so really, we started thinking about that very quickly, understanding the customer in this, you know, venous therapies market, right? The superficial venous disease, we know it's an elective procedure. So we just started thinking, I think, creatively about how to help our
0: customers help their patients now. All right. So let me let me bring you back a little bit, because when this first started, Clearly, there were parts of the country that, like, they ha- they didn't have any coronavirus. That was like, well, what's the big deal? And there were other parts of the country, you know, where uh, it was like, holy shit, you know, stuff is this mm-hmm. things are really getting bad here. How, as as companies, or you know, as people that that you're directing your your reps and your um, uh, specialists and stuff. Was there a time when some, some, some of those people felt uncomfortable? A physician might say, I still want to do these cases. I still got to make, make my money. But you're getting to the point where it's like, hey, you know, I'm really uncomfortable here now. I mean, who knows the patients I'm going in or this doctor I'm helping with. What's, is, he, is he okay or is patients okay, staff okay? Did, did you guys, somebody, did you go through that? Did your, any of your, your reps or specialists voice any concerns? Like if it, I'll, just, from, I'll
3: just answer from my perspective. We have, uh, like I said, a lot of patient and, and physician contact, but it was interesting that um, from a company standpoint, like everyone else, I think, I think everybody had safety of not only uh, employees, but particularly of patients in mind. So uh, it was a very, very quick decision for us within a span of two or three days from people starting to see, wow, this is really going to impact um, uh, the nation. Uh, we made a quick decision and uh, basically said everyone work from home, um, start setting up uh,
0: virtual opportunities, and within another week we were all on uh, these electronic platforms. So, yeah, no, but Darren, what I'm what I'm asking, and maybe it's not as much in your case because you don't there's not cases that are being done that that is being supported sure. by, by your reps and stuff. Um, but but Brian, Dan, uh, Brad, in other words. You know, yeah, helping somebody in Nevada in the, in the beginning of March, you're not that concerned that there's, there's COVID floating around. Helping someone in, in New York City in the middle of March, your reps may have much more concern. So and that, is exactly, that is exactly
1: what happened. Oh, yeah, because I cover the whole country. And, you know, my New York people, they've been locked down for the last four or five weeks. Uh, Because of, you know, nothing was going on in the elective componentry. But somebody in El Paso, Texas, they're, they're, you know, the business is not normal. But now that they're opening back up to be able to do elective procedures, the phone's ringing off the hook. But one of the key things that that Phil said And and that our upper management told us if and told our reps, if you do not feel comfortable, don't do it because we didn't know exactly at the beginning just how infectious this was. Mm -hmm. It's not the key that you were you were going to go and go to work and you had the right stuff. But what if you brought it home and gave it to your mom that lives with you or whatever? So those decisions became uh, very impactful that you had responsibilities to your families, that decisions had to be made of okay, we need somebody to go, who's going to go? And we had to really look at uh, whether it could be handled virtually over mm-hmm. the computer, or we sometimes people went that had the least
0: risk factors involved. Yeah, that's, tough. Brad, what, did you have any of these issues?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, nothing I'm aware of, uh, Steve. I mean, it, it all happened pretty, pretty quick, you know, when when the country started to do the stay at home, then Medtronic asked us all to stay at home and and we, we followed that. And and quite frankly, I've been pretty impressed with, with the physicians, you know, that they didn't want uh, us coming in. They were making their own decisions. So like everybody else, we had to learn to pivot pretty quickly. There's still education and information we need to get out there. Um, But if we can do it virtually, uh, we do. So we just kind of, switched our courses that were supposed to be uh, in person, and we just did them um virtually but i, I you know I, I think as a whole um you know uh, the the physicians kind of led that in that they didn't want to be exposing their staff and their other patients or themselves um, um, to that so so we just sort of followed along um, um with that
0: Well, all right, that was good. Dan, any concerns? Did did any physician say, I need somebody here, you know, I really need somebody here? So it's kind of hard to answer the question because there's no definitive answer. It was on a
4: case-by-case basis. I think we were all just learning and handling this as it went. Uh, To your point, I'm here in the New York market, right? So when things shut down, they really did shut down where there was some more discretion in other areas of the country. Uh, in a lot of cases, we're able to handle that kind of stuff virtually. But as you know, at least from the elective side of what we do here at Andrew, the Venus therapy stuff, uh, for the most part, a lot of that was really kind of just shut down. Um, but we're doing our best really to just be a service to our customers any way we can right now. Um, but
0: it's a challenge to all of us. All right. So let's let's move to the the next uh, thing, which is really has the the uh, pandemic and what we, we're learning now and what we will learn in, in a while as we go through this, clearly it's changed the way we're going to educate people now and going forward. Um, so as, aside from everything going virtual, which which we get at this point, everything's virtual. Nothing is is uh, in, in person. I'm sure everybody has you know done their their virtual courses, and, and we've done a lot of courses, et cetera, et cetera. But what are the Let's ask David from Radcliffe because you do everything really online and you you disseminate information. Uh, so, David, what where do you see companies like you uh, either supporting or or developing on your own educational paradigms? You know, going forward.
5: Yeah, good question. Well, we, we've begun to do most of the things that we were doing in person, you know, recording physicians at conferences or um, or uh, all the things that we would do in person we brought in virtually. So webinars we were already doing, so we're doing more of those. The interviews we're doing like this, um, uh, using Zoom, et cetera, and Skype, um, using the broad- broadcast tool that we have with them. Um, uh, and roundtable discussions that we would do get the physicians in a room we're now doing on the zoom channel um uh, and and going forwards we're going to start doing uh, live courses where we have physicians broadcasting presentations in this format out to large audiences um over a couple of days so we we really see it's an opportunity for us as a a business because we've been doing this anyway um so it's just enabling us to accelerate um that development of, of of virtual meetings, virtual courses, you know, webinars, interviews with physicians, et cetera, either live, recorded, or um, you know, or, or, or a bit of both. Yeah. So Brad,
0: what what is give me one thing that that you think we're gonna take away from, from what we're experiencing now that you got a 90% chance this is going to be something that's gonna be incorporated going forward into the educational paradigm
2: well I, I think what we're what we're doing today is is an example of that i think you know we've all been talking about virtual uh, for years uh and, and now we just kind of sped that up and, and had to um really start to look at how to to re that um and, and we're trying to figure this out while it's going on as well but you know, I think from an education point of view, uh, we, you've got to, it's not just putting your old content on, on a WebEx um, or, or on a Zoom meeting. We've got to understand, you know, what can be delivered, um, high quality, um, virtually. And also, if not, everyone learns the same way. So, you know, how are people going to, to um, how are we going to assess uh, the learning objective when we're doing something like this? There's portions of procedures that you can do virtually, but then there's some portions where, you know, that whole hands-on piece where it's hard for me to simulate, you know, holding someone's hand and moving the ultrasound probe, right? And so those are the things that we're continuing to look at. And, you know, Medtronic as a whole, I mean, there's a big initiative going through um, as we look at different platforms and different ways of proctoring cases or being there virtually. Um, but I think this is going to, to stick to 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 a level where the didactic stuff um, the stuff that used to be meeting where you're bringing you know 60 people into a room if you can do it virtually I think everyone's finding out that 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 it works and, and it does have value.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I think that's that's true. The, the didactic stuff uh, for sure. Brian, one one thing is aside from what Brad said that you think we're going to take away. And we're going to, you know, put into our educational paradigm.
1: Um, I mean, I mean, he he said it perfectly. I mean, the the virtual component, the the ability to communicate um, in a live case with someone that is compliant within federal guidelines is key. Um, I I think what we've learned is. that, that we're all, this is going to change everything. We're all going to have to learn what works best because it's never going back to the old way yeah. for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what we've learned. And we're still learning. And it's going to take people like Dave and his company that you know this is going to give enhancements to virtual education that are going to just continue to build and build so that uh, we're all going to have to learn how to do things differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go. So, let me pose this this to you. I mean, first of all, do, do any of you guys miss traveling that much? Do any of you I can't you wait to be on a three-hour call. Ready? A three-hour plane
1: ride with no phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nice part. That's
0: the nice part about
4: it, right? Yes, but to your point, the days of international business travel are probably done now that we've seen how effective a one-hour Zoom conference can be with the right. whole work.
1: All right. right. The, the, I, I just literally wrote a, a memo on how quickly projects are moving now that there isn't flying and there isn't, you know, and people are at home and they're very focused. You have to realize you've eliminated all commute time. Yeah. Okay. So they're getting up, they're getting to work, they're getting things accomplished in a where you were meeting once a week. Now you're meeting twice a week and getting so much more accomplished because you've eliminated
0: or minimized downtime. Yeah, no, that, that, I, that I do, I think, is is very, very true. I mean, even for myself, I mean, we're working, we're working on, you know, meetings that we would be doing like at 9 o'clock at night when where we'd be talking. Now it's during the day and you're so focused and, and you get your work done. But it's funny, all of you said you do miss traveling. Is that the raise of hands? So, so what, what, what is it, Darren, that you miss of the traveling? Well, you know, I think, think you should have, shouldn't. I just want yeah, to know. what, right, it right. So
3: much like probably most of the people on the call, if not all the people on the call being an extrovert, you, you derive energy from meeting people and seeing people. Um, I, I've got my family around and sometimes I see people on the street, but it's just not the same as, as either meeting new people or engaging in a uh, you know, deeper conversation that you get personally. So for me, it's, uh, it's just that, that human component.
0: It, it's something that uh, I think all extroverts kind of need. So that's been the biggest challenge. Yeah, it's it's I agree. It's, it's that personal thing. I mean, this moves me into one of my kind of pet feelings about what we're going to take away from this. The concept of, we alluded to this already with the didactic being an online thing and then something else not being, the concept of a hybrid meeting, the concept of shortening the time necessary to be at a meeting because a lot of the work has been done beforehand. And then the the, the meeting, I think we need to figure out a way to cleverly intensify the personal interaction instead of it being spread over four to five days, being spread over two days. And, and some of the other work that needs to be done prior to that. Um, you guys, scientific advisory board meeting, you add on to another meeting. Now you're adding another day to two days for people. Can't you have the scientific advisory board virtually and say, good, we're going to do our work now and then we're going to go to the meeting and we're going to have, you know, an hour or two and we're just going to sum up, sum, summarize and, and everybody meet. You Dr.
3: Elias. Yes. I was just going to say that, that one of the yeah, things. Darren, Darren,
0: we're being recorded. You can actually call me Steve. Hmm. Steve.
3: <laughs> We, uh, we've seen some things with uh, the payers that I, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. The, the change to allowing physicians to bill standard codes, but use them via telemedicine. I mean, there's been existing telemedicine codes that have been very vague. Um, they don't pay a whole lot. Um, That's very interesting from an industry perspective. But I'm really curious to see how the, the, the payer relationship involve, uh, revolves around this, this new telemedicine. I know uh, the Veterans Administration hospitals are are now dictating uh, more telemedicine to occur, not just because of COVID-19, but this will be uh, something that they'll hang on to forever. Uh, I'm hoping that that maintains itself in CMS and and commercial environments as
0: well. No, I think, and we're finding that here. A lot of them, they are paying for it. It's it's really not that much of an issue. And it it probably will be something that's going to stick as well It's its uh, and as the younger population gets older, more and more people will become more facile with this type of interaction. Um, you know that we do have some people in their 80s who are okay with this, but in general, less percentage of those are are into the telemedicine versus younger people. It's like to them, it's the greatest thing in the world, just what we said. It's a time saver. They don't have to take off, go to the doctor's office, wait in the doctor's office the whole bit. Uh, let's, let's explore a little bit more, though, about the, the hybrid uh, meeting concept. Um, Dan, what, what are your thoughts about this hybrid? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't
4: agree just on to Darren's point as well. I mean, clearly the, the current situation is, is, you know, challenged us as a company as well as our doctors and accounts to think differently about their business and kind of change that paradigm. Um, yeah, I think we all have to just think more creatively about it. There's no doubt that the telemedicine concept, especially in the superficial venous market, where the paradigm of care, that treatment plan could have been as many as five to six visits for a patient. And the reality is that that doctor was already struggling to find time, right? Um, by doing this virtually, now they could potentially be doing that from home and you know, relieving or taking off one to two steps from their process. So Um, I mean, I said it to you, Steve, when we did talk that necessity is the mother of invention. And there is certainly silver lining that has come from all of this and kind of taught us to work and think differently. Um, And I just want to say regarding the adoption of telemedicine in the older community, I think we are all impressed at how the adoption has been thus far. Sure, we expect uh, the younger group to respond positively to this concept. But uh, in general, the pulse that I'm getting from my physicians is that uh, this has been a very quick uptick with their patients and they're able to achieve a lot from home, which allows them that when they do get back in the office to move forward with, uh, save a potential week or two on that patient consult, qualifying the patient's need.
0: Um, yeah. All of that could be done right now. Yeah, no, that's good. Liam, what, what is it, can you help both the companies and patients? with the with the concept of of communication and um being able to interact is there something that we are missing that you think we need to put into play that's going to allow a more natural or smoother um interaction i mean we're we're the the, the seven of us are sitting here now speaking and we're looking at our screen and stuff and that's it's working but but what do you see a company like you or other companies can offer to
6: enhance that experience. So, it's a tough question. I know. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for giving that to me and not Dave.
0: Oh, you know, like, I didn't ask you any of the easy questions. But
6: yeah. I went with the hard question. for you. And yeah, Racks are up next. So start thinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, that is a very hard question because as it's right, rightfully been pointed out, um, people, you know, uh, clinicians, um, uh, they interact with different types of, uh, types of content. So our business, for instance, has gone from a traditional sort of, um, print, um, text-based learning, um, to doing a lot of video based learning. Um, but there's many different ways that people are I- engaging in education. And what we're seeing is, is basically the digital uptake of, um, of engagement with content is growing in, in a variety of different formats. So, um what we're doing here with a podcast you know podcasts uh, um the interaction with the podcast we're seeing is is going through the roof um videos uh, engagement is going through the roof but also you, we can't go away from the fact that people are still going in and reading articles and um but they are engaging in that content in different formats and on different platforms so we seeing we're seeing engagement on social media channels, Twitter, um, uh, okay. LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Radcliffe, on, on our own platforms. It's, it's, it's a, there's a I suppose there's, it's becoming, through the digitalization, there's increased um, access to content, but also um, de- democratization of that content as well with different physicians commenting on it. So how we, I think probably the next phase is how we bring that content all together and all that comment together and have some expert some expert opinion on it um yeah, yeah that that's that's basically how i see it going all right so so brad what
0: um let me ask you this what what do you think is the attention span of a <laughs> of a of, no the, seriously because you know you want sure. to limit yeah. your the attention span of a say a physician that you're you as your company you're trying to get across a particular point about using a product what what in general is, is do you shoot for time wise um that yeah we're gonna he's gonna get it and he's gonna be engaged for x number of minutes yeah i mean it depends on the content
2: but anything between an hour and two hours uh depending on, on what you're doing and, and the engagement is, is really um Driven by uh, the educator, right? So, so these are things that that we've learned and, and things we have to um, concentrate on uh, now. Is, is getting the educators to be more interactive right. and getting them comfortable. It's hard to drive discussion. You know, some of the, the smaller meetings, it's hard to drive uh, the discussion um, on Zoom um, unless you, you you have some practice to it. But I think really, you know, people, we've got to remember people are at home and there's things that are distracting them and whatnot. So you're you're not going to be able to get them heavy content for two hours uh, and think they're going to to remember it all. Um, And also, you have to have supplements to that. You can't just go in cold and think, okay, now my educational um, objective has been hit. There's got to be a follow up on that, whether it be, you know, some sort of. PDF that you send them or your digital aspect that you send them to to follow up on that. So I don't think there's a one size fits all and that we have to look at kind of different channels of, of making
3: sure that, that we get this
2: information to them.
3: Brad, yeah. you're, you're right. The engagement factors has changed with, with video. I mean, we've seen this in TV and movies, but if you're boring on screen, it's far yeah. too easy for somebody to, to tune out and try to multitask on other things and they, just,
0: they miss what you're trying to film. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. So, so just what is does that sound? Uh, video, uh, video killed the radio star? Uh, yeah. okay. right. So I think there are going to be people who are both on the company side and on the physician side going forward that are going to be more the right type of educator for this format versus standing up at a meeting and giving your PowerPoint talk. Sure. And as we all see, the, uh, Brad, you already said, and everybody's saying, the engagement part is is very big, and just, just a little, you know, semi-self-promotion is all of you are supporting the meeting that we're doing in June, Expert Venus Management Meeting, which is going to be all virtual and all interactive, and I we hope and we think we've gotten the right people as faculty um, to do those, be those kind of interactive uh, people, and we'll see how it works. We're, Brad, to your point, we're planning on three hours a day, now everybody may not hang on for those three hours, but the entire day is peppered with complete interaction, there's no lectures per se. There's just difficult case presentation and questions and answers, and that takes a lot more work to keep the audience engaged, and I think you guys are right. We need to think of, as we begin to educate from your company viewpoint and those of us running meetings, the two of us together need to understand there's a different way that people are going to look to learn now, uh, and they're going to get bored if we just sit there being a talking head. Brian wants to say something. Yeah, you look. You look at
1: Cush's uh, presentation uh, two weeks ago that we you did at the VS. You know, um, he's totally engaging. He was asking questions, right. and that's something in you that's going to be new with this Zoom format that someone can ask a question live. Hey, Kush, you just said this. What, what did you mean? And, and, you know, what do you do next? That's different than the podium where everyone's waiting till the end. You know, you do your didactic right. talk and then someone's at the microphone. Yeah. Now you can, and, and what we found, and uh, Bobby Mendez did a thing yesterday for us on Evar Tivar and his partner uh, that was phenomenal because they did it in small little segments. And they said, taught us this, questions, interaction. Taught a little bit more questions, interaction, and they were very engaging. And that's, I think, Brad's right that it has to. And you're right to where a Cush, a Makis, Makis. I mean, those guys are phenomenal presenters, yeah, and and do a great job. But it's going to be more
0: interactive than just someone on a podium. Exactly, and that's and that's how that's how that meeting our meeting is going to be in June, and we'll we'll see if it works. And you know, um, talking about meetings. Do we need that many meetings now? Do we do we need to have as many meetings as we've been having, or can we cut down on the number of meetings? And I want to divide it into societal meetings and privately run meetings like, you know, Expert Venus Man, Venus Symposium, in, uh, <laughs> International vein Congress, uh, Charing Cross. In other words, do you all feel that you would lose something if there would be Less number of meetings. What's the downside to you if the, there are less meetings or the meetings are short? Let's first think about society meetings. I, I guess the first thing
3: that I'm curious to see how, how uh, societies uh, deal with is one of the reasons that, that we go to these, these events is to have the trade show floor. And uh, when something gets talked about or, or two people make a neck, make a connection and find out about your product, they can come over immediately and, and engage with somebody right there about um, what the product is and how it works and, and get more information. That's going to be a challenge when you, when you go to a virtual environment. Uh, it's, it, unless everyone goes to live chat and you've got enough people that can handle whatever volume comes in, it's going to be tough for physicians to, to get more information about uh, some of the products and services that are being
0: talked about. Yeah, that's a good point. A very good point. Anybody else have ideas about society meetings?
2: no well see i i think the the societies are doing what a lot of us are doing they don't have to, to figure it out so so you yeah. know there's that commercial side of it that, that darren just talked to but there's also the, the the science side of it and and the that was the mechanism where we got our data out right and that is also the mechanism that a lot of these physicians got their cme credits so yeah. that's going to become um and, and an issue for everyone on, you know, how, how are you going to replace that many credits um, um, that that quickly? So I think the societies that have a heavy lift in understanding how they're going to drive engagement, get the right uh, information out there, and again, they're going to have to do it in, in bite-sized chunks. So you know, you, you can't have a full uh, a day of a agenda like you used to on the podium, but you're going to have to do small um, kind of uh, focused uh, disease state or procedural state um, topics. Um, and, and if they're accredited or not, you know, that's something that the societies will have to start to, to look at.
0: Yeah, they can be accredited, but I think you you make a very good point. Someone can't go and spend three days and get a big chunk of CMAs. No one's listening for yeah. three days uh, yeah. to people, you know, talking. I mean, it's, it's crazy that we, you can't. Yeah. you can't do that um, Dan what 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 do you see you know to Darren's point people want want to get their hands on your on your product and I agree at a meeting someone discusses either results using that product or discusses a technique using that product and then you have your break and then people go seek out that product because they're excited what can anything come to mind that, you know, we can make, still have that experience for our physicians and for you guys as industry, quote, during a meeting? So it's a great question. And I think, you know, I mean,
4: uh, specifically for us with the very recent release of the secure trial, we'd love to have that kind of presence uh, in front of everybody for that, for our PVAC kids. Um, So it's, it's a good question. I think in terms of, Driving engagement for these meetings, at least what we're seeing is that when you move towards a round table, a peer to peer discussion, or at least salt and pepper those in, that's how you truly get everybody feeling involved and part of the process, as opposed to just listening to a lecture, which I think we're all in agreement with will be even more difficult uh, via virtual. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's just kind of changing how people are involved. And that doesn't mean that the presenter is not the the thought leader of the process and sitting at the head of that round table, but driving interactive discussions through people of all different specialties, or I'm sorry, even within the same specialty, just different skill sets or different experience sets, I think has a lot of value
0: in this new normal. Right, I want to give you guys a little, and if you take my idea, that's fine, but, in, but, in, but engage me in some of these ideas as well. What I'm thinking of is from my from product viewpoint, is that, and we've done this uh, with a few of you already, I've done a couple of different uh, webinars. But the physicians are sitting in their own home. What I see going forward, once we can interact a little better, is your representatives gather a group of physicians in either one of the physicians' facilities or a hotel room or whatever. Some Somebody or a group of people speak about, as Brad, you said, a disease state, or a particular procedure, or what, whatever, and sitting with those physicians is your rep with the product on the table, so now the, the doctors have seen a presentation of the product or the device or whatever, virtually, but yet they are sitting at a table with others that are interested as well, and they're looking at the product by your rep showing them. So I that may be a nice way of, of doing both, of getting the data out there, but people not having to travel too far. They can travel locally and get into a group, and your ER reps can have direct personal communication with them, let them see the product, get their hands on the product, et cetera. We're not doing that now when people still stay at home, but once that goes down, that to me is one of the things I see in the future.
3: Steven, Next, I can tell you a, a funny story about uh, when Tactile Medical started to do um, what position-to-position educational events and dinners and the like. Um, this is about two years ago. Uh, a rep in Waterloo, Iowa, wanted to put on a program, and it was almost impossible for us to get uh, the right key opinion leader speaker to Waterloo, Iowa. So we suggested doing it virtually, and there was tremendous pushback from great amount of people. You can't do that. It's not going to be engaging. Uh, The clinician's not going to be able to get their point across. And lo and behold, it was actually very effective. Um, So interestingly, I think this is showing most people that this type of event or the type of event that you just mentioned is not only doable, but it's actually very effective. And it would be impossible for us to get the likes of Dr. Peter Mortimer to come to a dinner. But if you can get them virtually, you can get some significant KOLs to present Um, on some, I think,
0: some pretty meaty topics. Yeah. What do you guys think of this, one of these concepts, the concept about this combined virtual lecture, but personally, your reps being in in the room with your doctors?
4: I I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, I don't think, and I don't want to speak for anyone else in industry, but we're all looking for new ways to be in front of our doctors and customers and I think over the years, and um, it's not specific to us, it's just specific to industry, uh, sometimes some of these in-person conferences aren't necessarily driving traffic, right? Like, uh, it's, it, There's a difficult balance between the amount of lectures that you guys are part of on a daily basis and still getting out to see the vendors and go to the booths. So I think this new format is uh, fantastic for industry. And I do think it's great for doctors as well. Um, and even, I mean, I don't know how far we can go with that, but adding a question and answers portion to that, where the rep can basically field those questions or product management field those questions um, would be very exciting for us.
0: Are we saving? Uh, going to save money? Is, it, is this cheaper in the long run, guys? <laughs> uh, doing this rather than transporting physicians all over the place and you guys all over the place? We're not.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and and but I think that that cost, it remains to be seen, right? Because I think what we'll see is we're going to do more things, right? Because we have to keep it more localized, more regionalized, and more focused, right? right? And then we also have to, as as we move along, look at you know the the, the, the technology and and how we improve on that, so. You know, it remains to be seen on on, It's certainly going to be cheaper uh, and more efficient than sticking everyone on an airplane and sending them to, you know, Philadelphia. But but we'll still need to be doing a lot more of this and we're going to have to take it in smaller bites. Right. So I can't talk to a room of 300 anymore. I'm going to need to be talking to a room of 15 to
0: 20. I think the smaller bites idea from from always from the delivery of the education. Yes. Uh, experience the smaller bites of the number of people that you're trying to educate is really a, a concept that that's gonna be coming out of this. Day. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about how can we enhance uh, live cases you know we we run a meeting that that does like six different live cases and and I've done live cases for um, for Brian's group and stuff and and obviously we can do it for others as well. but um, David, can you give us any idea? Right, have you been involved with filming live cases? And what are the things that we can do even better to enhance the experience when, when the doctor's not standing there now and, and may never wind up standing there?
5: Yeah, well, we actually had a physician today um, comment on live cases and how he thinks it should be, should be better. Because a lot of the time, most of the preparation's all done and the physician's just talking about, um, you know, I've just prepped the patient, he's all ready to go and here's the money shot kind of thing. And I think what what people want to see is that real hands on practical. You know, how did I uh, how did I prep the patient? How did I, you know, uh, take the prepare the kit? You know, which which assistants were involved in setting the case up? And I think people want to see that kind of thing. And we we think cases will change to bits being much more practical. Yeah, uh, that's the comment that we had anyway. Yeah, just
6: just to jump in on that, Steve. Um... <laughs> The concept behind it is you have m- multiple concurrent cases, and um, what you'd be doing is you'd f- be flipping between the the uh, concurrent cases to make sure that you're you're bringing um, people content that really matters over the course of say an hour or so of the of the broadcast. So um, yeah, that was it really.
5: Three yeah, I mean, cases be- in three different hospitals, and you'd you'd take take people to the most ex- exciting, engaging part rather than them being board at one point where there's not a lot going on
0: right but i think there is value of seeing how how things are set up i mean you know uh, i mean brad somebody's uh, using the glue for an ablation you don't just want to see you know the the axis has already been made the catheter has already been put up and now they're just extruding the glue for instance or you know and with laser or perforate you don't just want to see the catheter in the perforate you want to see how they set it up who was holding what and everything else so i think it's important Brian obviously with Ivis, it's not just putting the Ivis up; it's deciding where to go and yeah. and all that no, kind I, of thing.
1: I think the the Livy course showed that we could do that from. We, we, you know, you were able to say how the patient presented to you, um, and then all the way through, and 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 your post procedural care. I, I, I think that we we've, we you know you and I talked about how to be able to do that, and and I think we pulled it off quite well for our first yeah, go at it.
0: No, no, thank you. No, it was it it was good. It worked it did work out pretty well. And so we obviously we're going to plan on doing that that course again and and clearly there's going to be courses like that and then each industry you guys will be running your own, you know, yep. specifically Absolutely. for for your your products. And um yep. you know, I think this has been a a good experience and wanted to kind of finish up in a little bit here. Um this discussion to see yeah, this was very challenging in the beginning for all of us, uh, but we're working it through. And like Brad said in the beginning, it sounds like it was, it was only a few months ago, but it sounds like it was years ago. So we really condensed our learning curve very quickly. And, and going forward, we're going to learn much more. You guys have given some really good ideas from what industry needs, what industry can offer. And, um, uh, you know, I think some very good points about Small bites. The educators need to be really the right type of personalities and the program needs to be devised like that for the interaction. I think the reps have a big role when you do smaller things in terms of being with those those doctors. Um, you know, David and Liam, you're you're set to, to do even more because this is the way this is the way it's it's going. Um, so this was the first of, of our industry. Our, Industry, all podcast, no, no doctors except for me. But I wasn't talking about industry. Um, and I think you guys brought a really nice, different, uh, different perspective. Uh, we will do more industry stuff going forward. And um, thank you for giving we'll some good ideas. But I want to thank you guys a lot. This is really nice. Always thank a you. pleasure, Steve. Thank you. For Thanks, having Steve. thank you Thank you for. Great. Right. It's the, the big key thing
1: is if we're not having in person meetings, our livers will last longer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speak The that we're doing this one, if saw, anybody's drinking at <laughs> 11, 11 o'clock in the morning in New York, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: it's All right. Friday. Well, we're that's, close to the five.
5: Yeah. Well, okay, right. here,
1: oh, I'm with David. See, it's yeah. five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Liam's ready. Look, he's
0: licking his lips.
1: He's ready
6: for a pint yes that's the irish in me i suppose uh I... well
0: thanks for being part of the vein podcast and we'll do it again another time
6: all right
0: take great thanks, Dave.
5: Well. thanks thanks Cheers. Cheers, Cheers, Steve. nice to meet you
0: we hope you enjoyed today's vein podcast in association with radcliffe vascular we aim to bring you important topics from the vein world either topics that we ourselves feel are important or you our listeners feel are important So review us on your favorite podcast app or send your thoughts, comments, and questions to podcast at Radcliffe with an E dash group.com. That's podcast at Radcliffe dash group.com. You can also register to access newsletters, videos, and peer-reviewed journal articles. Thank you. Glad you listened. This is Dr. Steve Elias, and we'll see you on the next Bain Podcast.